You're listening to the No Life Skills Podcast with your host, Ashlyn. My advice for other sex workers, don't do what I did. Giving you an inside look at the fascinating world of sex work. Yeah, a little bit awkward, but uh, informational, I guess. Connect with other professionals and allies of the industry. I was like, wow, this is easy money. Now, join the conversation while we share inspiring stories on the No Life Skills Podcast. Hello. Hi. How is everybody? It's been a while. Did you miss me? I missed you guys. It feels so weird to speak to a microphone again. It's been like a month. Yeah. So I guess this episode might not be as long as the normal ones. It's just going to be me blabbering away. I've gotten like probably over 30 questions the last few weeks that I've been gone. So I'll just answer any questions that have been submitted during that time. And yeah, I decided to take a break. I'm in school full time and had midterms and finals and I was just very overwhelmed. And you know, this podcast doesn't pay the bills. So I had to cut something from my schedule. And this was the one thing that does take up quite a bit of time that I decided to take a break from, you know, we went hard for 23 episodes and I decided I needed a mid-season break, but I'm back and I'm ready to go. I've got lots of exciting interviews coming up. So anybody that's reached out to me, I do have a list of everyone in order of when they reached out and I will be reaching out to everyone soon to schedule more interviews and I'm excited to have that coming up. In the meantime, I do have some already pre-recorded that I will get to editing. So those will be in the coming weeks. So we have only McKenna and Noelle Noir from Ottawa. And we also have Amber Meow and she's from Montreal. So those will be in the coming weeks. I'm super excited for you guys to hear that. Anyways, let's get into some of these questions. Somebody asks, I was noticing that more and more providers are speaking out towards the lack of respect, time wasting and overall negative approach they're getting from new clients. Has this increased since COVID or is that just now the providers are using their voice more to let the public know about this BS? I think there's always been BS in this business and I'm not sure if it's increased since COVID because I haven't really noticed more people talking about this. I think the amount of time wasters has largely probably stayed the same, but I just think during difficult times like this, it does sting more when people are wasting your time, you know, especially if the business is slow for somebody. So yeah, maybe more people are speaking out. I personally, this past year, year and a half has been thank goodness, very good to me. And, you know, although I do experience time wasters, just like anybody in this business, I wouldn't say that it's more, I would say it's probably about the same, but that's just my experience. But yeah, I think when providers are constantly complaining on Twitter about time wasters, I think that could possibly alienate potential clients. So I know I used to do that a lot in the past and I've kind of taken a step back from doing that unless I'm, you know, engaging in more of like a humorous way with the people who are wasting my time. But I just don't think it's always a good look to complain and possibly scare off people who are willing to pay you. So that's just my two cents. So thank you for your question. Let's see. This is another good question. What do you think has led to the stigma of sex work or women being sexually active with many partners? Is it religion, men, politics, so many options or just people in general? And why are men not as stigmatized for having many sexual partners or for being a male escort per se? I mean, the stigma of sex work runs deep and just in general, like gender roles in society and like the patriarchy and whatnot. I think women have always been more shamed for having sex and for being open about having sex, especially having sex for money. And 
I think things are starting to change now with sex work, in my opinion, becoming more mainstream, you know, with the rise of OnlyFans and stuff like that. And like popularity of like porn stars becoming mainstream influencers and stuff like that. I think it is changing for the better. But yeah, and I think it doesn't help when sex work is largely criminalized in most places. And, you know, sex workers were kind of made to feel like we're doing something wrong, even if we are in this business consensually. And I think there is a huge misconception between sex work and sex trafficking. And that's something people often get confused about. So, yeah, I think the stigma runs deep. And like with regards to like male escorts and stuff, I think male escorts are just as stigmatized as female escorts, if not more. I mean, I kind of have my own opinions on that. Everyone has a right to sell their body if they choose to do so. But yeah, I think sex workers of any gender, any kind are stigmatized. And part of my goal with this podcast is to break down those stereotypes and break down the stigma that is surrounding sex work and to normalize it and to speak about these things that, you know, a lot of people don't speak about. Hopefully that answered your question. Next question is, can you give me your opinion on emotional labor and interactions with sex workers? Is it okay for clients to engage on social media? How do you draw the line with text messages? I think this happens so often. I think a lot of men or potential clients on the internet do expect emotional labor, free emotional labor from sex workers. And I don't think that's okay. You know, there's so many guys, so many guys hitting up girls on Twitter, messaging me constantly, uh, who I've never met. I'm never going to meet, but they're all over my stuff or other women's stuff that I see. And they, I know social media creates a space where you can get to know your providers and you get to see a more personal side of things, but that doesn't really mean that you should be expecting free emotional labor. You know, it's the same thing. Sometimes guys will text to book an appointment and they'll try and sext. And I've had guys say, well, I booked an appointment, but uh, I was just trying to have a little fun beforehand. Like, no, like that's time wasted and our time is valuable and you can't be expecting things for free. You know, if you want to chat with a provider or comment all over her Twitter and expect her to reply or chat with somebody on OnlyFans. Like, I do think that it is appropriate to tip that person, you know, as well as I have had several people from Twitter in the recent months who have sent me gift cards and stuff. Like, they haven't met me yet, but they know that my time is valuable and they want me to know that. And so they've sent me gift cards or an e-transfer or something. And that's something I really appreciate because I'm going to be honest, if I know that you're a reply guy on Twitter and you've been doing that for years and you haven't given me any money, I'm probably not likely to see you because, yeah, you're just expecting free emotional labor. And that's not cool. You know, you don't talk to your doctor or your hairstylist, likely, you know, before you go see them. You don't expect them to chat you up. Like, it's just not how it works. So we're all running a business here. And yeah, I don't think you should expect free emotional labor from any sex worker. But I also think that's up to the sex worker as well to have boundaries with that because I personally, if I think someone's like being annoying and trying to talk to me too much for for nothing, honestly, I will just not engage or tell them to send me money. So it's all about having boundaries. You know, Uh, it's difficult because I think some women want to appease potential clients. But in my experience, I don't need to do that. If someone's serious about booking an appointment and giving me money, they will do that. Or If they're not ready to book and they want to engage with me online, they will pay me. Just boundaries. Okay, so somebody on my Curious Cat has asked me many, many, many times, are spas profitable? How is the pay structured? And I think this person is talking about rubbing tugs, like massage studios, where I used to work. 
Uh, profitable for who, I asked. I think he meant the owners. Um, you know, I've never owned one. I don't really know what the books look like for something like that. But in my experience, the owners that I do know, like, I don't think they're rolling in money. It's like any business, there's good times and there's bad times. And any business, there's a lot of upkeep and costs associated with that and rent and whatnot. So unfortunately, I can't really tell you. I'm not sure. But I know that when you work at a studio as you're technically an independent contractor, so the employees of the studio, you are paying to work there. In my experience, you pay a shift fee, which... Typically, it's probably $40 or something. And then you also pay a client fee. So if you're on one shift a day, you'll pay your 40 bucks. If you see a client, you're paying 40 bucks. So first client's 80 bucks. If you see another client after that, it's 40 and then 40 thereafter. And that just depends on the studio. So, you know, I've paid out. If I've worked a double, a triple shift, you can pay a lot of money to the studio, like upwards of three, $400 sometimes. And that's on the lower end of things to pay $80 on your first client. I know places where you pay like, I don't know, hundred bucks, $110, you know, like it's quite expensive. So that being said, if it's slow and nobody's seen clients though, like the owners aren't making that much money. So it just depends how honest are dick reviews versus how much of an ego stroke is it? You know, unless somebody specifically says that they want me to be mean and humiliate them. I think it takes a lot of courage for men to send dick pics. Some of you guys are a little nervous. I mean, not everybody. Some guys just send them willy nilly, but I'm pretty nice. And Honestly, it's hard to even tell from dick pics sometimes if someone has a good dick and it's not even how a dick looks, how big it is, how whatever, you know, it's how you use it at the end of the day. So I do answer honestly, but I am nice. But if you want me to humiliate you, I can do that. But you got to tell me that beforehand. Like some guy sent me a dick pic and listen, he had a small dick, but I was like, you know, like decent dick pic, like average, I would say. And uh, he's like, I was hoping for some humiliation. And I was like, well, buddy, you should have told me that. Anyways, somebody asked, and I posted this one on Twitter as well. My former student is a sex worker. Is it okay to see her? No. Invest that money in therapy, motherfucker. That's fucked up. Besides difference in rates, why don't U.S. companions tour Canada in comparison to their Canadian peers? Well, as we all know, the exchange rate right now is shitty. And rates in Canada are significantly lower than in the U.S., So I don't know. I think there's companions that tour to the larger cities like Toronto, Vancouver. They might duel right there. But yeah, I don't really see anybody coming to like Edmonton or Calgary or anything. Not that I've noticed, but I just don't think it would be worth their time. You know, a lot of providers in the States are getting upwards of 500 bucks American per hour. And to like come here and try and charge that much, you know, specifically in Alberta. So what you're trying to charge 600 Canadian an hour, maybe with the exchange. Like I just I don't see that being profitable them and that would probably be a waste of time. What's the worst request you've received from a client? I have no idea. I don't know. There's so many weird requests. Nothing really shocks me anymore. Like one time I had some guy texting me who probably wasn't serious by the way and he wanted me to shit in his mouth. Yeah, I know we have to bring up shit again on the podcast, but yeah, apparently he told me he was an Indian guy and he loved white girls and wanted me to shit in his mouth because he had like a white girl shit fetish. And um, I declined his request, unfortunately. But let's see. Are very obese boys attractive to you? Do looks matter? Like when it comes to my work and stuff, I looks do not matter to me. I literally could not care less. And like, I'm not just saying that, you know, looks don't matter. I'm providing a service. And all I ask of people is to show up on time and wash their dick. And so 
If someone is very obese, I have zero problems with that. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen all kinds of clients, all body types, shapes and sizes, nothing, nothing could put me off. Honestly, as long as you're clean and nice and respectful, we will have a good time. And is anybody attractive to me that, you know, that's just irrelevant at the end of the day because I'm providing a service. So, and it really hurts me when I see guys online, you know, feeling self-conscious and stuff. And, you know, I'm accepting of everybody and you're coming to me to have a fun time. And, you know, this is a safe space to, you know, express yourself sexually and have fun with a hot lady. So I don't think anybody needs to feel self-conscious. I know it's easier said than done, but yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Another question. Do police do a good job at making sure the ladies in spas are licensed and not being trafficked? Well, uh, in Edmonton, there is the vice squad, which does come around and check on the licensing Specifically in Edmonton, you need to renew your body rub license every year. And with that, you need to go get a criminal record check. So you need to keep your license current. And they do come in every once in a while and just make sure everybody's got their license and everything's all good. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Uh, as for like trafficking trafficking and stuff, I've personally never really worked anywhere where there that I knew of that there was any trafficking going on. I can't say the same for like all the studios in Edmonton, but there is the police squad that deals with that stuff. So yeah, they want to make sure that the licenses are updated and people are there consensually, hopefully. So they do a good enough job from what I've seen. Would you rather be judged for your intellect or your body? Well, people judge me either way. So judge me however you would like. <laughs> You've chosen to be a very vocal advocate for yourself and fellow sex workers. Did this just happen or was it very intentional? I think I've always been kind of outspoken in this way and... I am in a position of privilege to feel comfortable speaking out on these things and having a podcast and sh sharing on this platform in this way. So it wasn't necessarily really intentional, but it kind of it kind of just happened. And it's just kind of who I've always been. Let's see. This guy says, big fan, Ashlyn. Thank you. I want to know what is the best thing about being you? I don't know. There's lots of cool things about me. <laughs> I don't know. I think I am a nice person. I think I have a great sense of humor. I have a great ass. Um, I have great cats. I have a lot of great friends, a lot of great support in my life. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm very happy with who I am and all the work I've done on myself and where I am in life and where I think I'm going in the future. So I don't know. There's lots of great things about being me. Let's see. Do escorts get tested more than the average person? And if so, do they pay for that service? You know, I know escorts. Sorry, this is gross, but they never get tested. And I know escorts that get tested once a month, once every two months. So it really just depends. I personally think I get tested more as an escort than in, if I wasn't. Hard to say. I've been doing this for a long time. But yeah, I mean, this is my job. I don't want to be unknowingly passing around stuff to clients. And in the community, it's very small. Like we're all sharing the same clients. So I think it's important to be on top of your sexual health and get tested. And that goes both ways. So clients should also be getting tested too because... You never know. You can't trust anybody. You can't trust these hoes. And do people pay more to get tested? No, it's free to get tested in Canada. I think anywhere. I don't think uh, you would have to pay unless you went to like a talent testing service or whatever. But if I just go to my doctor, I'm never paying to get tested. Well, let's see. Have you kept count of the numbers of partners you have had? And would you share it with your significant other if they ever asked? I do know how many people I've slept with for free. Uh, because I have a hit list on my phone. I just like to keep track. I don't know. Do other people do that? I think it's normal. But as for work, I definitely do not keep track. And yeah, I don't care if somebody asked me, I could estimate like I was actually with my friend the other night. <laughs> 
So we estimated how many kilometers of dick I have taken during my career as an escort. So basically what you do to get this number, if anyone else is curious about what your uh, dick kilometer measurement is, I think the average length of a penis is five and a half inches, right? Okay. And the average amount of strokes per minute is like 45 or something like that. And then the average amount of time for intercourse is about five and five or six minutes or four minutes, something like that. So all these numbers are available for you on the internet. So basically you just do the math. So how many inches you're getting per dick according to the strokes and whatnot, the average. And then I do estimate how many clients I see in a year. Like I keep track of like how many are new and how many are repeats. So I do have like a good idea. So basically what the calculations came down to in six and a half years, I have taken around 80 kilometers worth of dick. And that's probably on the low end. She worn out down there, boy, she's tired. I'm just kidding. That's not what happens to vaginas. Okay. But yeah, 80 kilometers of dick. If you had a daughter, would you want her to be a sex worker? Well, I would want her to make her own choices and to be safe and to be happy with what she was doing. And I don't think I would be judgmental either way. Would I want her to do that when she was 18 and have no life experience? Mm, Maybe not, but um, I'm not sure. That's a tough one. Let's see. Have you ever caught an STD from sex work? Surprisingly, no, I never have, actually. I did get one one time, but I wasn't working during this time, and I know exactly who it was from. It was from a friend I was hooking up with, so that was cute. Love that for me. But yeah, no, never got one from actual sex work. Do you often see inexperienced slash virgin clients? I do quite often, actually. I have taken several virginities. You know, I I love that. I love seeing first-timers. Someone has recently posted on CAF saying I'm not as scary in person as I come off online, so that's very nice. And he actually came to see me for his very first time, and I think he's a really cool guy. And then I had another guy on my podcast many months ago, my autistic client, Tom. He was a virgin when he came to see me as well. And yeah, no, I have no problem seeing anybody for their first time, whether they're a virgin or it's their first time seeing a sex worker. I welcome all kinds. Okay. This person asks, when you book clients, do you discuss how intense your physical interaction can be? I haven't had the privilege of booking time with a companion, and I am very big on making sure that whomever I'm with is safe. I like knowing if a woman prefers a gentle touch or likes ravenous passion. I've noticed that certain companions will specifically say they have a very sensitive body and need to be treated with delicate care. So I just wondered if those levels of boundaries are something you discussed beforehand. I would say not really. Um, I mean, that's certainly something that you can discuss with a provider if that's something you're concerned about. And then maybe if that was a concern of the provider itself, yeah, maybe that would be explicitly stated on her website. But yeah, I don't know. For me, that just never really comes up. I mean, you can handle me with delicate, gentle care, but I also, you know, don't mind if you rough me up a little bit, you know, like I'm not 80 pounds. So uh, I think it just depends. But yeah, I don't really discuss how intense things will get unless someone's like looking to like have a very rough PSE session and you want something like super extreme. I think then you need to speak about boundaries, but like for just regular GFE sessions, uh, it's usually not something that I feel the need to bring up because I usually... That being said, during a session, if there's something I'm not comfortable with and I want something to be different, then I will speak up. But beforehand, I don't know. Let's see. A fellow sex worker sent me this question. She says, I'm new to sex work. I'm having a hard time putting myself out there because I've been struggling with acne due to other chronic health conditions. All the sex workers I see seem to have such beautiful skin. I'm worried if I don't fit the mold in that sense. I know it's superficial, but it is a superficial industry. 
Is acne a major turnoff for clients? Do you know any sex workers that also struggle struggle with acne and still working at clients? This one breaks my heart. And, you know, I've I struggled with acne on and off, but nothing like major. And I have met other sex workers that have acne. And I think when you're looking at pictures online on Twitter, people's websites, those are heavily retouched. And we don't look like that in person. You know, normal people break out sometimes. And, you know, that's just that's life. And if you think every single escort out there has perfect skin and perfect teeth and perfect hair, perfect anything, you know, it's just it's not the case. I met so many women. I mean, they're beautiful. But at the end of the day, beauty is more than just skin deep. And if you have a killer personality and you have confidence in yourself, then fuck, the acne shouldn't matter. Honestly, I don't think it should hold you back. And I think there's a market for everybody. And yeah, I know struggling with skin stuff, it can be really hard on someone's self-esteem. And, you know, I understand that, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as you might think. it. I encourage you to put yourself out there anyways. Someone else says, I personally don't do the OnlyFans thing, but I want to show another way to support my favorite companion. Do you think I should send small dollar donations every day or just save up and send a lump sum once a week or month? I want to show my appreciation every day and it would be worth more than giving on OnlyFans. That's very nice of you. Um, maybe I think you should just ask the companion what she prefers, if she would prefer like a weekly thing or a monthly thing or, you know, just book her for a session. I think it's really up to the companion that you're looking to support in this way. And I think that's very generous of you and very nice. But I can't really give you an answer because... I don't know. <laughs> what I want might be different from what she wants, you know? Someone else asked, what are some tips for renting your own in-call? Do you find one that's already furnished? Short lease? Do you recommend sharing or is trusting another provider too risky? I've personally rented several places over the years and I've never done one furnished. I personally like to pick out all my own stuff. I know that can be expensive, but luckily I could afford it at the time. If you need something furnished, you know, go down that road. A short lease it really depends. Most places it's cheaper to lease for a year. So that's always what I've done in the past. I probably wouldn't do anything shorter than that, but you know, it's up to you. And do you recommend sharing or trusting another provider? Eh, you know, I'm going to say it. I've lost friendships because of shit that's happened sharing in calls. So unless you know somebody very, very well, and you know that you're going to get along and someone's not going to screw you over, I really don't recommend sharing. I know it's more expensive that way, but sometimes it just ain't worth it. So if you can afford to rent your own place, then I would say go with that. That being said, there's a lot of girls that rent out their places. You can go use them for an hour. I don't think that's a big deal. You know, if you're not ready to get your own place, there's so many other girls willing to share. I personally don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. You know, I, I've been through it with these in-calls, okay? So I have my own now. I, do, I share with a couple of people that are very trusted that I've known for years and that's it. But trusting people in this business that I don't know, I, I wouldn't go in on an in-call with anybody that I didn't know well. And I don't recommend you do either. Let's see. When you retire from the sex industry, what will you tell a person that interviews you what kind of work you did before applying for this job? I think it depends on the job. It depends. Uh, I don't know. Like I recently did apply for a job and the people there were aware that I have been a sex worker and it didn't impact like me getting the job or anything like that. So I, I think it really depends. And, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to want to work for somebody in the future. I'm really hoping to establish myself enough to like open my own business or something in the future. We will see. Another question. How can I make sure a sex worker isn't being trafficked? I'd feel so bad if I contributed to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. But I think if you look for girls specifically on Twitter where you found me and my curious cat, 
I think you can tell if somebody is like doing this from their own free will most of the time. If somebody has a, a website, a social media presence, you know, positive reviews. I mean, you know, nothing is ever for sure, but I think if someone has a strong presence online and you can get a bit of their personality and whatnot, I think, you know, go with your gut. I think guys run into this problem when they're looking on other sites like Leo List and they show up and they get ripped off or it's not the girl in the pictures or they say something like, oh, well, my boyfriend's coming back early. You know, it's not her boyfriend. Okay, it's her pimp. So stuff like that. I think if you're seeing reputable providers, I don't think you need to worry that they're being trafficked. Use the big head. Don't use the little head and you should be okay. Okay, that was a lot of questions. Thank you, everybody, if you've made it this far. Right now, I'm, I've am i decided to take a break from OnlyFans for the month of July, but I've got lots of stuff posted on there already if you want to go see me naked. So that's at moreashlyn.com. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at adore underscore Ashlyn. And next week, I've got a very exciting interview with Noelle and McKenna from Ottawa. Very excited to have them on. They're so sweet. And yeah, hope everybody's having a wonderful Canada Day and staying cool in this goddamn heat wave. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Life Skills. Follow Ashlyn on social media at No Life Skill or at Adore Ashlyn. Be sure to like, comment, and hit that subscribe button. We'll see you on the next show.